Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The idea that is very common that all religions teach the same thing, it's really an idea that has to come from somebody who's either being intentionally deceptive or somebody who's absolutely ignorant. Because just a cursory reading of the different religions it becomes obvious very quickly that they do not teach the same thing. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, in a message titled, No Other Name. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Here we are carrying on in our study through Acts, and today I want to specifically focus in on the 12th verse of chapter 4. It's a a, a well-known verse, and it's a verse that really speaks about the the topic um, of the exclusivity of Christ. Now, the reason I want to kind of take it as a standalone is This is a huge issue in the world today, huge issue in our culture. You know, we're living in a time when many people would say that anyone who claims to have the truth is wrong. People actually would say there's no such thing as as absolute truth. And and these kinds of claims uh, that there is one savior, that there is one way to salvation, uh, this is very, very unpopular in our current cultural setting. So I think it's important for us to just spend a little bit of time just looking at not just this claim here, but looking at a number of the claims throughout the scripture coming both from Jesus himself as well as from the apostles regarding his exclusivity. So the background, of course, as we see, this is a continuation of the story of the man who was healed at the gate there at the temple And this led to Peter preaching the gospel to this large crowd of people, which then attracted the attention of the authorities who had them arrested and brought before the council. And so that's where all of these things transpired that we read about here. But let's, um, I I just want to reread verses 5 through 12 just to get that picture fresh in our minds. So it says, and it came to pass on the next day that their rulers elders and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people, and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven 
given among men by which we must be saved. So as I said, that very statement right there was controversial then. And as we see it caused consternation among those that it was spoken to. And um, it is controversial today. So I want to look first of all at just the, the idea that is dominant in the culture today, uh, the pluralistic view of things that, that many people hold to. And in what we have today, a pluralistic culture, people are bothered by absolute or exclusive truth claims. And as I already mentioned, there's uh, you know insistence that there is nothing that is an absolute moral truth or a universal truth. There's no one religion that can actually claim or no religion should claim that it is the the right religion. And no one should say that there's just one savior or one way to salvation. And so, of course, in that perspective, there's the idea that, you know, either all religions are the same or all religions, although they might not be the same, they will eventually lead you to the same place. That's pretty common in our culture today. And so when we are standing on the scriptures and say, no, actually, there is absolute truth and there is a person who claimed to be the only savior of the world, this is where the conflict comes in. So I I think it's necessary for us today to be able, when we make that claim, when we state to someone what Jesus said, it's important that we're able to to back that up. We We need to be able to support that. So that's what I want us to do as we make our way through this today. But but really quickly, you know, just for a second, think with me about just this idea that all religions teach the same thing. You know, so there, there are those who say, no, you can't say there's, a, there's only one way to God. You must say that there are many ways to God. So one of the ironies in that position is the person who claims that there's no absolute truth is pretty much saying, no, the absolute truth is there are many ways that lead to God. So they're making the same kind of claim. They're just making it in a, in a slightly different way. But, but they would say you can't make those kind of claims, period. But yet they end up doing them. Now, the idea that is very common that all religions teach the same thing, it, it's really an idea that has to come from somebody who's either being intentionally deceptive or somebody who's absolutely ignorant. Because just a cursory reading of the different religions it becomes obvious very quickly that they do not teach the same thing. Now, where there would be similarity would probably be in the, the area of ethics, not always, but sometimes. And, you know, morality, there's similarities there. But when it comes to the bigger issues of, of the person of God or, or even the existence of God or the way of salvation, this is where there is no common ground. For example, many people don't realize this. Buddhism, we think of Buddhism as a religion. It's categorized as a religion. But, you know, Buddhism is really atheistic. Buddhists don't believe in God, or there's no necessity to believe in a God within the system of Buddhism. 
when you, when you get into worship and things, you're getting into sort of like an ancestral worship. But, you know, Buddhism is, is based on the idea that the, the suffering in the world is caused because of desire and you want to purge and rid yourself of all desire and, and so forth. But there, there's actually no necessity for a God within the system. So we see right there, Buddhism says there is no God, but the other religions certainly would say that there is a God, or in some cases, many gods. Hinduism says that there are millions of gods. And so don't let anyone tell you that all religions teach the same thing. Many years ago, we had a visit here at the church on a Sunday morning from uh, the Sudanese ambassador. And he was on kind of a goodwill mission going around the country and, you know, meeting different leaders and religious leaders and so forth. And, you know, wanting to talk about Islam and Christianity and a peaceful coexistence kind of a thing. And this was back in the Bush administration when Sudan was very fearful that they were going to, you know, have something like what, what happened in Iraq. So they were on a, a mission to kind of protect themselves against that. Uh, but anyway, the ambassador, I happened to meet him that morning. And as we had a conversation there briefly, he said to me, he said, well, you know, look, the truth is our religions both teach the same thing. And I said, well, you know, with all due respect, sir, uh, they do not teach the same thing at all. But we shouldn't kill each other over the differences, but we, we, you know, we're, we're not going to solve any problems by pretending that they teach the same thing. They don't teach the same thing. As a matter of fact, if Christianity is true, Islam is false. If Islam is true, Christianity is false. You, you, they both cannot be true. So again, just the idea that is out there that all religions teach the same thing just, just simply is not the case. And if anyone takes the time to just look at it, they're going to know that's true. That's why I said some people are just intentionally being deceptive about it. So the ideas that we find dominant with a pluralistic worldview, that there's no absolute truth, again, even a statement like that is assumed by the, the person saying it to be true. And so, you know, it's, it's just like a circular, contradictory position to hold. So that's, that's the situation that we find ourselves in today. And it's in this context that we are standing on the statements of Scripture. And Acts chapter 4, verse 12 is one of those passages that we are standing on saying, no, right here it says that there is salvation in no other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is just one of the exclusive claims that we find in the scripture concerning Christ. Now, Jesus himself, he made claims that are exclusive and the apostles then followed suit. So here we have an example of the apostles, but I wanted us to go back and just look at some of the claims of Christ himself, and then look at a few of the apostolic claims regarding the exclusivity of Christ. So when I say the exclusivity of Christ, what I mean is that Jesus makes claims regarding himself as the Savior that exclude everyone else from being in that position. And, and that is 
absolutely the situation that we find in the scriptures. So John's gospel is a place, we could, we could go through many of the, the other gospels as well and find things, but I'll just stick with John's gospel and I want to look at two things from John's gospel. First of all, I want to look at just some of the I am statements of Jesus, because these, these are good examples of what we're talking about here. So uh, there are seven I am statements of Jesus in John's gospel. I'm just going to look at three or four, but let's start with this one. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Now, what I want us to see on this is whenever Jesus makes this claim, I am the whatever it might be, notice he, again, it's exclusive. He doesn't say, as some would say and insist that he should have said, well, I am a bread of life. Or, or the idea is that, you know, I'm the one that, that sustains and, and nurtures and, and provides sustenance for people. But Jesus never says a, as though there are other possibilities or options. He always says the. An, an easier one to understand in that connection is, I am the light of the world. So Jesus doesn't say, I am a light among many lights. And if you find that my light is the most attractive, or you think that my light shines a little brighter than somebody else's, then you should follow me. He says, I am the light of the world. And those who follow me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But then I am the resurrection and the life. Again, I am the resurrection, I am the life. But John 14, 6 is probably the one that is most commonly quoted that states this idea of the exclusivity of Christ. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then you remember, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So that is clearly an exclusive claim. Jesus not saying, I am a way. If you like what I have to say, then follow me. Or I am a truth, a one among many truths. And then, of course, I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So Peter, here before these men, he's, he's just basically echoing what Jesus himself said, there is salvation in no other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, I just had us look at a few of the I am statements, but just a couple of other things that Jesus said in John's gospel as well. On one occasion in the eighth chapter, Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So this is what he says to humanity. Unless you believe that I am he, speaking of the Savior, the Messiah, you will die in your sins. And then in John chapter 17, in his prayer to his father, he says this, you, Father, have given me authority over all flesh. Now, these are, I think you can see, these are pretty exclusive claims. Jesus says, I have authority over all flesh to give eternal life to as many as you have given me. So these are the claims of Jesus. But then the apostles, like we see here with Peter, they echoed the very things that Jesus said about himself. Here with Peter in verse 12, but then Paul in uh, Acts chapter 17, for example, on Mars Hill there with the Greek philosophers, he said, God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness, and he's going to do that by Jesus Christ. 
So you see, Paul claims that Christ is going to be the, the judge of the whole world. And then he said in writing to the Romans that Christ is over all the eternally blessed God. So here's the claim uh, that we find over and over again in scripture, that Christ is not merely a man, but he is a God who became a man. And Paul says that to Timothy in First uh, Timothy 3.16. He says, God was manifested in the flesh. So these are just a few examples, but point being this, we cannot escape this. So when somebody says to you or somebody says to me, look, you know, it's great that you're a Christian. That's fine that you believe in Jesus. But, but you know, don't say that Jesus is the only way or, or don't say that Jesus is better than the other religious options. But we can't back down on those claims because if we set this aside, then basically we're setting aside the, the only Jesus that there really is. Uh, did you know that in some people's imagination, there is another Jesus? There's what's called the historical Jesus. Now, liberals have been on this for years. They've tried to come up with the Christ of history versus the Christ of scripture. So in their mind, the Christ of scripture, there's all kinds of mythology, miracles, and you know, virgin birth and resurrection from the dead and all of that. That's the mytho mythological Christ of scripture. But the Christ of history was just, uh, just an ordinary guy, you know, kind of a bohemian type, you know, kind of a philosopher that just roamed around and, you know, kind of a cool guy and, you know, a bit of a revolutionary, got himself in trouble with the authorities, you know, kind of like a Che Guevara type of a guy. Uh, <laughs> this is what they think. And so they have gone on for decades in search of the historical Christ. Guess what? The biblical Christ is the historical Christ. There is no other Christ. So these guys are just on a, an imaginary uh, quest. <laughs> I mean, it's a real quest, but it's for an imaginary person that doesn't exist. It's a Christ they're trying to find that looks just like them. They, they've, they've recreated Christ in their minds to be just like they are. So when they say, you know, don't, don't talk to us about this, you know, exclusive Jesus. Well, this is the only Jesus there is. And so we stand firmly on the claims of Christ here in the scripture. Now, of course, we do have to admit that to make a claim does not necessarily prove the claim. Now, Jesus claimed things that nobody else has ever claimed. And, and if you just look at the claims of Christ, they themselves kind of just, you know, support that they must be true because nobody ever thought to say anything like this. But let's just, for, the, for argument's sake, say that, well, okay, Jesus made all these claims, but why should we believe that they are true? Well, there are things that we can look to that support the claim. And I think in the end, ultimately prove the claim. And so as we look at the life of Christ, we see that the life of Christ actually matches up with the claims of Christ. So how do we see that? Well, let's look at a few different things. First of all, and, and this, this doesn't prove that the claim is true, but it's an interesting thing to think about with Jesus because one of the things that you see with Jesus, one of the unique things is alongside of these claims, you see in, in his life an utter and absolute humility. You know, this, this, is, um, 
this is really unheard of. If somebody were not really the person uh, or, or really this person and making these claims, you would not see a humility in their life. I mean, these are, these are really some pretty arrogant claims if they're not true. Claiming to be the way, the truth, and the life. Claiming to be the light of the world and all of that. So um, it, you, you would expect somebody like that to be quite self-confident and quite arrogant and quite uh, vocal about it. But, you know, when you look at Jesus, he made those claims, but he was simultaneously humble. He was very humble. And he was kind and gracious even to his enemies. And even in the passage that we're looking at today, the thing that's interesting to me is that, you know, these are the people that, that put Jesus to death. That's who Peter and John are standing before. These are the very men. Notice the names, Annas, Caiaphas. Go back to the gospels and read about those who, who you know, passed the death sentence on Jesus. It was them. But here's the thing. Do you know what's happening here? there's an appeal being made to them. They are being given an oppor another opportunity to change their mind. That's what's happening here. The Lord allows the apostles to come before them so that they can hear the message again and hopefully change their minds. Now, of course, they don't do that, but you see even in that the humility of Christ. He, doesn't, he didn't wipe them out when he had the opportunity standing before them, and he's not even doing that now. So we see humility. Secondly, we see in Jesus' compassion. Now, there have been few rulers throughout human history that you would refer to as a compassionate person. There are few and far between. But Jesus, he was all about compassion. He was all about helping other people. You know, it's funny because today when you, you listen to kind of the, uh, you know, the modern liberal mind of the things that they admire, well, you know, they claim to admire humility. They claim to admire uh, people with compassion and they, they want to reach out and they want to bring the marginalized in and make them feel welcomed and, and all of those kinds of things. Well, I just want to say this. If that's really true, if you really feel that way, then Jesus is your man because Jesus did it. Jesus didn't just talk about it. Jesus did it. He went about doing good. He went about healing all those who were oppressed of the devil. You read the passages in scripture, you know, where it talks about the lame and the halt and the blind and the maimed and all of those people that, that were brought to Jesus. Now, one day, you know, Cheryl was, and I were together and she was, she was reading over that passage and she said, look at, you know, listen to the description of this. And she said, just think if these were all the people that wanted to hang out with you. I mean, you know, you'd be kind of like, uh, not available today. You know, the lame, the halt, the, the blind, the maimed. These are the people that Jesus gladly received. So we see his compassion. Now, again, humility and compassion don't necessarily prove his claims, but I think they're just something to consider. But then we have to look at a topic that we considered previously, we have to look at his miraculous power. Jesus had power, but he didn't use that power to benefit himself. He only used that power to bless others. He had power over nature. He could say to the wind, stop. And that caused the sea to become calm. 
he could take a fish and a few loaves of bread and he could feed thousands of people with it. He could turn water into wine. He could do these powerful, powerful things, but he didn't use that power to benefit himself. Of course, most of his miracles, as we pointed out, were acts of benevolence and mercy toward those who were suffering and those who were afflicted. For the month of March, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled One Minute Answers to Skeptics, Concise Responses to the Top 50 Objections and Questions by Charlie Campbell. Learn how to give a defense for the faith in a conversational style and strengthen your own confidence in the existence of God and the reliability of the Word. The book One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Acts. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.